0: This is Your Other Brother's Podcast. It's like running
1: through an open door, it's like fire.
2: Welcome home, friends, to your other brother's podcast. We are a community navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together. My name is Tom from the Jewel of the Blue Ridge. Joining me today, from the other side of the state, the city of Oaks, we have missed him. We have missed him dearly. It's our other brother, Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hello, it's so good to be back in front of the mic. In front of the mic with not just trapped with me in an Enneagram arena. Like there is Mm -hmm. someone else in the room. Um, It's good to see you again, Brian. And it's good to see from the frozen tundra of Minnesota. It's our
3: other brother, Aaron. What's up, Aaron? Hello. I'm just ecstatic to see people again because I've been quarantined with COVID. So even though your faces are virtual, I'll take what I can get
2: quarantined with COVID. You were quarantined with me on an Enneagram conversation, but now you guys That's are right. back together, the three of us. It's so good to see you guys. I was commenting with Ben and Will. There's just like, like I enjoy those one-on-one conversations, don't get me wrong, but there's a sizzle, there's a charge, there's there's something in the air when there's more than, more than two gathered in one room. So I, I'm excited to see you guys again. This is like old times. It's been so long since the three of us recorded together. You guys, we are back for the exciting sequel of some scripture stories talking about scripture and how it intersects with our lives as gay or SSA people of faith, where that meets us in our sexuality, in our masculinity, um, how we relate with God, how we relate with the church. Like we had a fantastic conversation with the pastors, Ben and Will, um, but now we have the lay people episode. It's good to see you Ryan Aaron. <laughs> Still have Still have some connection with scripture. We don't just rely on the pastors for our connection to scripture. Um, and I'm so I'm so excited to see this. The fun part about this little series of episodes is is you guys haven't heard the episode, it hasn't come out yet as of our recording, the three of us right now. Um, so I wanted to put it out to you guys and see if you could connect the dots. This is my fun little game that I've been playing out all day. Um, so when I pitched this to the yobbers, I was like, yeah, tell us, tell us some stories from scripture that meet you or, or that have inspired you or that have encouraged you, particularly through some lens of your sexuality and masculinity. Um, and I said, it could be something as obvious as David and Jonathan's friendship. Like, I feel like that's a bread and butter, obvious connection to so many people in our community. Or my 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 thought process was, what's the complete opposite of David and Jonathan? It's naked drunk Noah after the flood. I don't know why I thought about that, but I was like,
1: <laughs> I was like if you can draw a connection no.
2: to drunk naked Noah, to your sexuality masculinity struggle, please, by all means. And I put that out to pastors Ben and Will. And we actually riffed for like three or four minutes about like a connection to our lives, and I just wanted to put it out to you guys: What do you think the pastors Ben and Will made a connection to with the drunk, naked Noah story? <laughs> do you have any Do you have any ideas whatsoever
1: of what they what they could have pulled from that? Uh, I can only. I mean, I. I have a story, but it's going to have to go on the Yabalog. <laughs> oh, no. We're already going. We're already pushing the Yabalog button. There should be like a Yabalog escape hatch. Like,
2: okay, now we're,
0: right now on we're
2: recording it. on a separate track, and we'll get back to the normal recording. <laughs> I mean, by all means, you could, you could if you want to, you could share that. I lied. I don't,
1: no, I don't, don't have a drunk no connection.
2: Story, yeah, story. I don't know.
3: I mean, so isn't this where the daughters go in, and like they get him drunk, and one of them sleeps with him? Is, is that, that Noah? Story?
2: Is that see? Now I wish that we had the pastor here for the authority. Or is that Lot? Or is that? Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're mixing drunkenness, nakedness with family members.
1: I'm not sure. Someone like sees his nakedness and it's this huge. Oh yeah, shame, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I think he's just observed. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: um, it's it sounds like a pretty pretty typical like, help. I'm in the locker room and I'm naked and ashamed. Oh, interesting. Didn't make what, that connection. Is that what it is. There could yeah, have been a locker good. room connection,
2: locker room and shame. No, but this was funny because, because they were like, we're pastors. We can draw spiritual connections to anything. And so they like, cause I, I was thinking like there's po- no possible way drunk, naked Noah could be any kind of inspiring tale To us, like, that's just such a weird, random story in scripture, but, but they, they, they were talking about how, as if our listeners haven't already heard this episode, but in real, real quickly, they were like, you know, scripture goes out of their way to paint the heroes of the faith at, at some of the weirdest, lowest moments, and that it really does exemplify their humanity and the fact that they're normal people too and they um that they also mess up and that they're not just perfect heroes with no no struggles no flaws and after a worldwide flood like maybe noah just yeah just couldn't help himself wanted to put back a few because he just was feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders so who knows like i think that meets us where we are (laughs) so so that's the gamut That's the gamut of, of stories. We're gonna we're gonna reopen the Bible today and hear from Aaron, hear from Ryan. We also have several more stories waiting to be unearthed from the yabbers. The yabbers came through once again and provided just some incredible, incredible stories and in how it relates to their lives. we're gonna try to get through as many of them as possible um, as we go through this episode. This is the like I said, the second of two parts, and I foresee. Moving forward, maybe not every single round, but I foresee more series, s- serieses in the future, like multiple episode, multiple part episodes. Um, just because it's fun, it's fun to like have more perspectives, whether it's with different casts or if we utilize the same cast and break up a conversation over multiple episodes. Like, uh, I think this is something we could do more often. I'm just gonna try something new out um, as we as we talk about the same topic, just with different people and including different stories from the community, so so stay tuned. Ryan and Aaron, this is like, when I was thinking about an opening icebreaker, you know, like the awkward question on the first day of school, like the icebreaker is like, what did you do this summer? Did you go anywhere? Did you, do you have any fun times? What Was there one notable thing that you did this summer? Um, I would love to hear if there's anything that comes to mind.
3: Well, I went to New York City, uh, actually Ooh. just a few weeks ago and My uncle was planning to go with a couple of his friends, and his friends were going to bring their two kids. One of the kids couldn't end up going, and so I got invited along, basically, to take one of the kids' place. Um, So I got to go to a Yankees game. I got to go to a Broadway show. I got to see Billy Joel all for free because some poor child was unable to go as planned. Um, The downside to the whole trip was that when I got back two days later, I came down with COVID. And so, I've been Uh, dealing with that ever since in some way, shape, or form. It was worth it, though.
2: I was going to say, that sounds like a fantastic trip. A Yankees game to Broadway. You saw, that's like how New York of you.
3: (laughs) We experienced all it had to offer.
2: Yeah. That's, um, have you, had you been to New York before or is that a first time?
3: I'd been there actually um, in college for a finance class. We went there and... I got to see all the investment banks and like tour Wall Street and stuff that trip, which was really cool. Didn't really do the, the typical touristy things at that point. So it's fun to do those this time. But yeah, my two trips in New York have been positive experiences. Don't want to live there. Great place to visit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how people live there. Like among, among other places, Florida, I don't know how anyone lives in Florida. We heart we heart you Florida we heart our Florida listenership um it's just so hot it's so hot down there but city yeah the New York City vibe like love to visit it's it's got an energy it's got a it's got a pace to it that's fun to fun to just like experience for a few days but then man if that was my life I don't know I don't know how I would do it I don't know how people do it I'm surprised I'm surprised we don't like hear much like we don't get I don't think we've had any listeners from New York New York City for all the millions of people that live there why are they not listening to this podcast? Why have we, why have we gained, we had someone come to our Yabers retreat from Alaska and
1: we haven't had a single New York city supporter. What is this world? What is this life? It's bizarre. They're probably all just like beyond podcasts now, like whatever comes after podcasts, they're already, they're already 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 on it. They're on the cutting
2: edge. That's right. Mm -hmm. Maybe so. What about you, Ryan, anything exciting happened this summer?
1: I went on a trip to Mexico uh, just south of Cancun to play a nice. Carmen with some dear friends and the company was lovely uh but but the but the resort itself was a little disappointing so you know i i went i tried out the whole mexico resort thing and just decided <laughs> um i'm glad i'm you know i'm glad i checked it off the list right Right. Um, but but it was a fun trip with the people like came away with some good stories and um didn't I actually didn't get sick or sunburned, so I think nice. I could just kind of like chalk it up to a victory, really. You avoided the two S's,
2: no sickness, yep. no sunburn, yep. mm-hmm. so there you go. Right. Well, I'm so glad that we're back now, back in business, back into the flow of this podcast. As we inch closer and closer to episode 100, you guys, 100 is nigh. Um, and something that I've put out, something that I would love to do for our 100th episode is hear from you, the listeners. Um, over the years, we've had this Yab line, which has been fun to go to um, for various content. Uh, we've had some fun with the Yab line. And I would love to have a segment on our 100th episode where it's just people calling in saying how this show has mattered to you, if it has. I mean, the, the thought process of putting that out there is that if they're listening to this episode then this podcast must have meant something to you. I don't think you're just slugging through 100 episodes against your will. Maybe, maybe there's a torture chamber out there and someone's forcing people to listen to this episode on a loop, who knows. But um, if this podcast has mattered to you, if you've listened to it from the beginning um, or jumped along somewhere along the way, um, please call our line and in 30 seconds or less, tell us what's like, what's a favorite moment, a favorite episode, a favorite quote, a favorite inside joke. It could be silly. It could be serious. It could have gravitas to it. Um, you could cry. Oh my gosh. If you cry on the Yab line, I would be so ecstatic. I would be so thrilled. Um, whatever the emotional response is, like I would just love to hear from you. How has this show blessed you, benefited you, encouraged you um, after a hundred episodes? We're not there yet, but we're about to be. So um, give us a call. 706-389-8009. I would love to just read read off, not read off, Playoff? Is that the right terminology? I'd love to play off a bunch of your guys' messages. I think that would be so fun um, as we get closer and closer to that momentous occasion. Um, Ryan and Aaron, have you ordered your tuxedos
1: yet for this occasion? <laughs> I'm I'm making mine. Okay, I'm good. sewing it wow. as we speak. Sorry if you can hear the sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I might get like a a tuxedo
3: onesie or something i think that would be cute Ooh, that would there be, we go that would, yeah. that'd be so fun uh, your other brother's tuxedo it should ah. have the life is better with brothers that's right oh, yeah yeah
1: yeah bring back our, our life is better with brothers merch i think that would be I'll, fun i'll dress up in my like in my nice suit for that
2: Can okay oh, yeah. there yeah.
1: we go we'll talk more
2: you guys about some 100th episode plans we're we're still a couple months away but um Getting closer, closer and closer. Something else that we're getting closer and closer to is our fourth ever camp retreat that's coming up soon. Um, And there's not gonna be many more opportunities. I'm actually not sure based on our podcast schedule, how many episodes are coming out. Between now and the retreat and the deadline that we've set, I think this actually might be the last time that I get to announce this, but we have a retreat coming and we would love you to be there. We still have room. And um, it's just been an awesome celebration part of our community. there's never been a retreat that didn't go well, at least from my vantage point. I've had just a phenomenal time at all of these events. Um, and if there's anybody out there just curious about this Yabbers community and what we're all about, um, and you hear about like 50 boys from multiple countries around the world coming together at a camp in the woods, in the mountains, and you're wondering, what is that about? Like, why not experience it for yourself? Why not just completely jump off the cliff and join us? Um, Join us for our retreat this November. We would love to have you. Um, I'm I'm down to field any questions. If anyone's curious about it, wants to know more, whether you're already supporting us on Patreon or whether you're not, um, yeah, you shouldn't get me get in touch with me. I would love to talk more about a retreat because as of now, we're over 50 signups. You guys, we are on pace to have the biggest retreat we've ever had. And maybe that's exciting to some people. Maybe that's absolutely, maybe I shouldn't have said the number. Maybe that's like absolutely a terrifying um, prospect for some people listening, 50 plus people coming together. Um, I don't know, but I'm excited for it. We're starting to put it together and getting closer and closer to that weekend. So we would love to see you at our next camp retreat coming soon. And before we get to our episode... Topic discussion. We need to thank our sponsor. You know, last episode we thanked Papyrus. Papyrus sponsoring the episode on the B I B L E. Um, I thought about like letting Papyrus have a two-episode sponsorship deal, but that was not that was just not to be. We had too many other prospects out there. And so um I need to thank our sponsor for this episode, Scrolls. Scrolls the noun, not the verb. The kids these days, they only know scroll as a verb, you know. Mm. But Ryan, Aaron, and I, we
1: come from an era where scroll used to be a noun. <laughs> yeah, we used to use scrolls in math class. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I do remember. Um, do you remember
3: overhead projectors? Some of them had scrolling, like uh, transparency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they would just roll it. Instead of wiping it off, they just. Roll oh, really? It the next scroll up. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So it was a verb then, too. They scrolled the, the
2: projector. Okay. Mm hmm. I had one teacher, yeah, who would do all of his notes on a projector when there was a whiteboard just right there. And I didn't understand that ever. I was like, why is he doing that? Why is he like, he would literally hunch over and write onto the little projector on his table instead of just writing on the whiteboard for everyone to see. That was just his style, that was his thing. But um,
3: yeah, I had a professor who used an overhead projector in college, my senior year of college, which would have been 2017. He eventually stopped using it when they had no more light bulbs left in the storage (laughs) stock. (laughs) They couldn't get new ones. Just use the markers. They're so much
2: cheaper and everyone could see the whiteboard. I don't know. I just never understood that. But thank you, Scrolls, for sponsoring this episode on the Bible, how we resonate and connect with it. Previously on your other brother's podcast, for those that are just tuning in, I don't know if there's anyone listening right now that it's listening to the part two episode before the part one episode. If that's you, you're crazy, but welcome. So glad to have you. Um, I don't know who does that, but if if that is you, this is what we talked about in episode one. We talked about Hagar, we talked about Rahab, we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well, and we talked about the early church of Acts. Um, And we had a great, great conversation with pastors, Ben and Will and the Yabbers community. Um, And on tap today, um, it seems like today, maybe gonna. I think last time we we tilted more Old Testament and today we might be tilting more New Testament based on um, the early, the early projections coming in, but we'll see. We'll see where our conversation takes us today. I'm excited to talk with Ryan and Aaron and get, um, yeah, just get some of their feedback on some stories that resonate with them. Ryan Berger, tell us a story. What's a story from
1: Scripture that resonates with you? Ooh, a story I've been thinking about a lot recently is the story of Abraham going to sacrifice his son Isaac um, on on a mountain in a, in a land called Moriah. And so, this is in Genesis 22. It kind of takes up takes up the whole chapter. Um, So you can read the full story in Genesis 22, but basic synopsis, um, God tells, God tells Abraham, go take your son. And backstory here, like Abraham is very, very old and the son is the culmination of a promise from decades ago where, um, where God promised Abraham will give you a son, but the son never, never, uh, never came, came around, you know, never came to be until, until eventually there was Isaac. And, and, um, so then God says to Abraham, go sacrifice your son on this mountain. Uh, and Abraham, um, takes his son, takes his equipment and goes and travels to the mountain. Uh, his son, Isaac asks him, well, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham tells him, well, God's going to provide something. And, Um, so they get up to the mountain and he like puts, uh, he puts Isaac, his son on the altar and is about to like, um, like kill him with a knife and, and an angel of the Lord appears and says, hold up, hold up, hold up. No, no, no. Like, uh, this was, um, well, I, I, I should just read the words because, um, otherwise it's going to misconstrue the story. Um, The angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Um, And so then Abraham looks around and he sees this ram that's caught in a thicket nearby by by the horns. And and he knows that this, this ram is what's provided by God for the sacrifice in the place of Isaac. So he sacrifices the ram and God recognizes uh, Abraham's faithfulness and being willing to sacrifice his son. And, and it's okay. So this is kind of a weird story, right? I like kind of hesitated to bring it up because it's uncomfortable. It, it's, it's weird and uncomfortable to think that God would sort of y- it, it almost feels like God's yanking Abraham's chain a little bit, like um, saying, OK, here's this son. I promise you this son. Um, now go sacrifice him. No, wait, never mind. Uh, and, and, you, you know, it, so so it's it's weird. It, it almost like raises more questions than answers. Uh, the narrator in this chapter frames it as like God testing Abraham. And that's, that's not really what I want to talk about. Like, that's not the point of why I bring the story up. Um, What I keep thinking about in this story is Abraham's like mental state, his emotional state um, going through this, where he's, he's really this, this son is everything to him, right? Like in, in this time and place, to not have a son for so long and then and then have a son is a really profound thing and then this is this is a god who Abraham has a pretty like new relationship with you know this is before this is before like the the torah law you know and so um and so not not all that much has been revealed to Abraham about who god is and I'm I'm picturing him thinking like um I guess this God is like all the other gods around here that demand a child sacrifice. Um, so well, I guess I'm gonna go do it, you know? Um and 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 so he brings his son up the mountain and he has this moment of like really letting go of something that God has given him. Um and I'm also thinking about how God didn't really want that sacrifice. Like that wasn't what God was after. And and so what I'm getting around to saying is I think that this moment in Abraham's life represents a moment that all of us in side B, kind of the traditional um, understanding of marriage ethics and sexual ethics, it represents this moment that I think we all have to get to where I, I don't think God is really asking us to sacrifice Uh, intimacy and relationship and and relational commitment and family. I really don't think God is asking us to sacrifice it, but I think we we almost have to go and move to sacrifice it. We have to sort of like make to sacrifice it. We have to be able to let go of it to that extent um, before we can really truly have it, before we can um, before before our life in this like side B calling is sustainable, and and again the point the point I want to bring up is not really like, oh God is God is testing you side B person in in like making you um, lonely or something. You know I think I think the the point I'm trying to kind of stick to is that that like Abraham, kind of going through this. Uh, this journey with Isaac, I think we, we do have to be ready to give up so much to to follow Jesus. And, um, and I think it does wind up being less than we real like less than we expect. It, wind, it winds up being less less devastating than we expect, but we have to be ready for it to be very devastating. Um, does all that make sense? It does. You know,
2: I was on pins and needles the whole time. I was like, where is he going to go with the Abraham Isaac story? <laughs> like, I was like, drunk naked Noah, the big mystery of how, how is Ryan going to make this connection? Um, I have two thoughts. The first thought is a silly one. So I have to get that out of the way first. Um, when you were saying the angel was like, hold up, hold up. I was like, that's like the message translation. You could read that in the message. <laughs> and the angel, low, the angel said, hold up, hold up. That was my, my first thought. And then second thought. Yeah. Like, I, I love that image of like strapping, strapping your sexuality or strapping your, your, um, however you want to wrap it up in intimacy and in partnership in, um, a future of normalcy, like strapping it to the cart and heading up the mountain, you know, just like Abraham did with Isaac. And just like, like you said, I like how you put it, like the motion of putting it on the cart and going, um, even though God's not, I don't, at the end of the day, God's not going to ask us to give up intimacy, give up, um, connection, give up all of the basic human needs that we have, um, as we give that up. I think, I think he meets us there just like he met Abraham and Isaac at the top of that mountain. it's not to say it's going to be easy. I'm not, I'm saying it like, oh yeah, just strap your sexuality to that cart and take it up there with that blazoned knife and, you know, go to town. But, um, but man, I Mm -hmm. think, I think he does meet us. And I think our community is one way that he's met us. And I know he's meeting us in, in other ways too, but that's, that is a profound story. Um, to, to, to make that connection. I will never look at my, my sexuality the same way again. That's beautiful. Well, good. <laughs> I love that. Aaron, tell us a tale. What tale would you like to tell?
3: I will tell you the tale of Jonah. Jonah and oh. the whale. Or the large fish. I was going to say. People like to uh, point the out large if fish. you look at the actual
2: it could have been a large catfish. We don't know. We don't know. We really don't know.
3: It's fun to imagine though, isn't it? There's a lot of interesting ways it could have played out. Um, I will not read the entire book of Jonah to you guys today, but I encourage you to do that. It's actually a, a fairly quick read. I could spend about 15 or 20 minutes reading to, to you. Um, I, I wrote a blog on this. This is my first blog actually that introduced me to the YAH blogger world. Um, so i have more thoughts there developed but this has been an important story to me throughout my faith in a lot of different ways and i you know i kind of talk about this like i don't love necessarily resonating so well with jonah he's not the classic hero of the story i mean even at the end when god saves nineveh spoiler alert he's not really happy about it he just like puts up with it um But similar to Jonah, I mean, if you're not familiar with the story, basically Jonah is a prophet uh, in Old Testament times, and he's called by God to go uh, basically announce destruction on Nineveh. Um, And it's interesting to me that the first thing Jonah does is run and flee the opposite direction. I mean, he doesn't just sit and do nothing. He actually intentionally makes actions to get further away from where God calls him. Well, the reason I find that interesting is because Jonah, Jonah really doesn't like Nineveh. Uh, And he's probably like a lot of um, Israelites at that time who, if you look at the stories of the Assyrians, um, Nineveh is part of the Assyrian kingdom. Uh, They were not good friends or good people to uh, God's people. And what I find interesting is just that Jonah, Jonah didn't take this chance. It's like he knew from the very beginning that God was doing more than just destroying Nineveh. Like this, this proclamation of destruction was um, meant to create something uh, deeper than that. And so Jonah basically finds himself on a ship um, trying to flee from Nineveh and comes upon this terrible storm. And the sailors on the ship are casting lots, trying to figure out whose God has been upset, um, you know, to cause this storm and this turmoil that they're in. They find out it's Jonah. They find out that he's disobedient to God and they try to figure out what to do. He basically says, throw me off, let me die. It'll be better for me to die than to go to Nineveh. And so they throw him overboard. The sea calms and Jonah is eaten by the large fish. Somewhere along the way, this large fish forcefully drags Jonah to Nineveh. And while he's inside of this fish, um Jonah kind of has his his moment in the darkness of finally seeing the light and repenting. Um, and he goes through this this somewhat long prayer as you would if you were caught in a fish, I'm sure. Um and he ends it he ends it saying this but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And um you know, to kind of finish out the rest of the story, what he does is he goes to Nineveh. He pronounces destruction upon them and the Ninevites um, repent. They they basically fast and they don't even drink water. They cover themselves in ashes and sackcloth and God abates from his wrath um, and the city is saved. And... You know, there's a few things in the story that have really spoken to me. One of the things, and this is what I blog about, is the way that I found myself running from God's call in my life to come out. Um, And I don't know that God puts that call on everybody. I'm not trying to say this is is your call to come out as a listener. But for me, I felt convicted that God was moving and working in my sexuality in very strong, um, meaningful ways. And that by not sharing that part of my testimony, I was kind of hiding some of God's glory. Um, And I think that's something similar that we see here that Jonah is doing. Jonah is choosing to play the role of God and to hide his glory. Um, You know, God's mercy and his goodness and his willingness to take people and to meet them in repentance. People that we might find untouchable, unlovable, repulsive. Um, God sends somebody specifically to that group of people and, um, you know, offers them mercy. And uh, he's glorified through that. I think he does that because he loves people. Uh, and I think he does that too, because it glorifies him by showing that he is able to take these people and to um, save them. And I really love how how uh, the, the story of Jonah ends. And it's finally God kind of coming back and talking through what just happened with Jonah. And uh, Jonah, Jonah is sitting out, he's watching and waiting for the destruction of Nineveh, hoping that God rains down fire like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, while he's doing that, God brings this plant up to cover him because they're in a the desert, of course, and the sun is really hot. Well, while Jonah is sitting there, God sends this worm to go kill the plant to get rid of the shade. Sends this hot wind and this scorching sun. And Jonah starts complaining about God destroying this plant. And God asks, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah, of course, says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity, uh, pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And it's this beautiful image of God seeing these people as just fumbling children who haven't really figured out life yet. Um, and I resonate a lot with that too. Like for all my upbringing in the Christian church and things, it's hard to figure out sometimes which, you know, which is my left or my right hand. Um, and God is merciful in that. So, you know, I felt the call to come out and I felt the blessing in my life, um, when I was obedient to that call. And I think God has a way of dragging us into obedience. We're better off just taking the invitation from the start. Um, but I also think it's just a beautiful story about God's ability to touch the untouchables, um, And I think this could be kind of a a story a lot of people resonate to as Nineveh, not just as Jonah, but, you know, feeling that there have been times that the church has maybe tried to withhold God's grace and mercy to us as LGBT people, um, but that God has been persistent and insistent that Christians actually are obedient to his call to To save not just the people we find desirable, but to to save the people and to preach good news to um, people that we may not like. Um, Yeah, so that's that's what I like about that story. I think the Old Testament is full of these stories. That's what's it's hard to pick just one, but that's the one I picked.
2: Such a great one, yeah. Thank you for sharing. I love, I love how you have all these um, bullet points of all these different angles and perspectives that you've gleaned from that story. What a great job of of synopsisizing that story as well. I, I resonate with the call to come out too. Like I remember um, going to a conference and I was like listening to attendees. I was a young adult at the time. I mean, I'm still a young adult, right? Um, but I was a really young adult at this time, and it was the last night of this conference and people were going up to a microphone and just sharing their testimony, like one after the other five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes there. And it was probably like 10 people, um, just open mic, just sharing your testimony. And there was so much in me. Like this was all, this whole world was so new to me at that point. So like I, for most of that just sat in my chair and listened to all these, um, all these boys and girls sharing their story in front of the room. Um, And then towards the end, somewhere towards like testimony seven or eight, like there started to be that little whisper in my head, that stupid, annoying little voice where it's whether it's the Holy Spirit or just whatever my imagination, one of those two um, saying like, go up, go up and share your story, go up and share your story. Um, And I definitively remember like there wasn't an audible voice. I'm not going to pretend that there was an audible voice or anything, but but there was a strong just sense, a strong inclination at the end of that night because I didn't I didn't get up. I didn't share my story that night. I had this strong inclination, though that someday I would. I just felt it so, and it was so weird back then because now this is like all I do now is I share my story on podcasts and blogs and books and everything else that I put out there. But like back then I didn't have any of that. And this was a totally foreign thought. I was a scared, super insecure 21, 22 year old at that time and had no idea what that would even look like. Like I just had this sense that I was going to tell my story in some capacity. And it took four years for that idea to to grow, to ruminate, to to become a fig tree or whatever tree that was. Was it a fig tree? Whatever tree that was with Jonah. Um it took took a while for that tree to grow, but um, but it finally did. And um and yeah, it was uh it was a process to to go through. But but I love that story of Jonah because he's like such a weird hero. Like he runs away, he comes back, he wants He gets mad because God's showing grace and mercy, and it's just—he's a weird, a weird heroic character. But I love like all the other heroes in Scripture. I love that he's in there because I love him, flaws and all.
1: Doesn't he say something along the lines of he's telling God how mad he is, and he's—he pretty much says like I'm so angry
3: I could die. he does multiple times mad jonah energy the the whole way through yeah and you're just kind of like is he just super dramatic or what's the deal here
2: you know jonah jonah had a rough childhood he he's seen some things I mean, you go inside of a whale or a catfish for three days and you feel all those like stomach enzymes like hitting your skin. Like I had one pastor preach a message once. He was like, like, just imagine three days spent in a fish's belly and just like how you would look, how you would smell, how you would just be disoriented. Like when you open your eyes and just look at the world again. So like I'm just picturing this hot mess of a man, Jonah, coming out of a fish and then just like having to process all of this. And then this. This tree comes up. This tree goes away. The city that he, I picture him on a hillside, like eating some popcorn, ready to see the fireworks go off. And then they don't go off. And he's like super annoyed and super angry. Good old Jonah.
3: For real. For real.
2: Well, I know I said at the top of this episode, this was probably going to be a New Testament heavy episode. And here we are just talking about the Old Testament all the time. I have one more Old Testament story. And then I figured we would transition to some New Testament stories because we had a lot of those from the yabbers. But um, we didn't have time for this Old Testament story last episode. And I wanted to read it because it was it came up in our Zoom call when we had an Old Testament Zoom call with the community. Um, and it's just very well written. And, and this particular Yobber, he references Hosea. Um, and he, he references Hosea too, but then I love how he put in parentheses or the whole book. And Hosea is not that long of a book either. That's the great thing about a lot of these, um, old Testament prophet books, as long as they're not Isaiah or Jeremiah, like a lot of them are pretty quick and easy to read. So, um, go read the book of Hosea. If you haven't in a while, it's a phenomenal story. Um, here's how our Yabber sums it up. He says this, God commands the prophet to go marry a promiscuous woman or a whore, and name their kids terrible names to represent the relationship he has with his bride, Israel. The book talks about how the whore has gone after different pleasures, but God will block her path and call her back to the desert and woo her, setting right the relationship they have even though she has been unfaithful. First off, I just love this imagery and the fun but odd realizations that one of the only God-ordained marriages in the Bible He puts God-ordained in quotation marks. One of the only God-ordained marriages in the Bible is when he tells Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman. I like the way it challenges our modern, virginal purity, sanctity that we've held over marriage for good reason and forces us to realize the heart of what marriage is meant to reflect and communicate. More importantly, for my own sexuality and faith, I find such comfort in knowing I'm the whore. In some ways, it gives me more grace for the days I'm running after wool, oil, and pearls, or whatever is striking my fancy that day. It also gives me more comfort in the desert. When life gets hard and living things die, I am invited to consider that I am being wooed all over again. I can no longer lean on the pleasures of life and good things, but I am forced to lean on the beauty and goodness of the one who made those truly good things. Lastly, I love that Hosea is in the role of God and enacts God's commandment to commit to loving the undesirable and redeem them from their wretchedness. I think that is something that is challenging to do, no matter where you live or what you do. And while it is good to know I am the whore and being wooed, I also want to be a Hosea. I am the whore and being wooed. I love that.
1: Wow. Yeah. Or in the message translation, the hoe bag.
2: <laughs> you know, yes. confession. I've, I've. I don't know if anyone else has done this. I've gone to the message sometimes to look at those verses, the ones with some weird weird like sexual imagery and things and just seeing how mm. how does Eugene Peterson put that in today's layman terms <laughs> just to get it's a fun little fun little way to pass the time if anyone's looking to also yeah go to the Bible yeah
3: does the word hobag come up at all there
2: <laughs> I loved it there was so much in that that actually was a little like callback to your, your share Aaron about the desert about um, redeeming yeah. the wretched like there's a lot in there like a parallel between Jonah's story and Hosea's story
3: I feel like it's it's a big story, um, especially in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, like talking about these undesirables that God is finding a way to make righteous. And it's usually in the Old Testament, it's a lot of work. In the New Testament, it's done through Jesus. But um, that's kind of the beauty of the gospel is like somehow we, an undesirable, wretched being, like are chiefly desired by an infinite being like God. And he has chosen to orient himself around us in such a unique way. I love that
1: and to to be clear, we're not saying that our particular sexual orientation is what makes us wretched it's it's the um it's just the human inclination to to un unfaithfulness from god and, and I think that's what uh, gomer is her name represents. I love mm-hmm. I love that
2: her name is Gomer too. Like what a fantastic name for a whore, <laughs> Gomer the whore. And it's funny You're like Homer. <laughs> there is. Do you guys ever listen to Third Day? Are you familiar with Third Day, mm. the, the Christian yeah. band from the nineties? maybe the 80s too i forget when they formed or when they disbanded but um i have this image like i saw i saw third day at a winter jam i'm so christian right now uh, oh i saw gosh. third day at winter jam and i remember mac powell the lead singer of third day talking about how like i think i'm pretty sure this is accurate listeners can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure he was saying that like that's what they called their followers like their fans of third day were called gomers mm-hmm. Because Colors. they made a connection to Hosea's whore. <laughs> Interesting. Whore lover. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's correct. I'll I'll make sure I'll put I'll put an asterisk in the notes if I research this, if I feel like researching this, and if it's not correct, but listeners can let me know. We have a lot of we have a lot of evangelical 90 kids listening. So we'll let we'll let them decide. But um but yeah, that's just a great such a great story. Thank you for for sharing that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's make the switch to some New Testament stories. A lot of Jesus, a lot of people that Jesus interacted with. So um, I wanted to read this one. This one goes to John 9. Um, and here's how the Yabbers, the Yabers. I need to just give some love to the yobbers. They. I gave them specific instructions, like give me the reference, give me a little synopsis of the story and tell me how it lands with you. And they just knocked it out of the park. They did so well gold star for the yabbers for this two-part episode um, so from john 9 here's how one yabber puts this story in this passage jesus encounters a man born blind and he's asked about the reason for it did the man sin and cause this did his parents jesus's reply is that the man was born blind so that god's works might be revealed in him jesus then heals the man and tells him to go wash himself in the pool of salome meaning sent I don't understand the ins and outs of my sexuality, whether it's nature or nurture or why in the past I had to deal with it and the shame and the fear that came along with it. But I understand now that while God did not cause my attraction to men, he allows it to continue so that he might use it for his glory. And I've seen that happen through Yab and in various disciple groups of which I have been a part. My own healing and release from shame and fear concerning my sexuality might also be an example of God's work on display. But that's another post another time love that love the tease i always love a good cliffhanger and foreshadowing reference so thank you for that aaron i think you had some thoughts about this particular story didn't you
3: yeah this is another story that's resonated um quite a bit with me and come up quite often um and I do love that. I love the the assumption here. The disciples, you know, they're bold enough to ask, like, who sinned, this man or his parents? Probably thinking we can finally settle this debate of does the individual sin or could it be generational sin from parents? Um, and Jesus, as he does, kind of counters the culture and challenges the culture and makes it clear that this imperfection this flaw somebody could say or um perhaps a sign of a broken sinful world a fallen world many would argue you know could be used intentionally by God for goodness and for his glory um and to bless the individual you know i think when an individual glorifies god i think that that blesses the individual as well um regardless of the way it's done and um yeah, I've thought a lot about this with my sexuality, too. I think I just imagine this blind man sitting there having the same thoughts. Like, did I do something if I repented? Would this go away or or could could there be something? Am I faithless in my prayers asking for this to go away? Um, or does God just not care? And to finally have this moment where Jesus steps into his world and radically changes perhaps the entire way he thought of his life, but certainly the entire way he'll see um, his world around him and the rest of his life. And I think a lot of us as Christians have those moments. I had that in my my faith with my sexuality thinking, what have I done wrong to end up attracted to the same sex? Um, and I think, you know, people thought that of my parents too, like, oh, they must have raised him wrong or something like that. Mm. And to have this idea of the sexuality in and of itself, whether it's part of a fallen state, whether it's not, isn't the point. I think, again, the point as this yabber, this this author of that beautifully written post too, put it is God can use these things to be glorified and there could be a purpose in it. And I think just finding out that there's purpose in suffering makes the suffering much easier to bear. Um mm-hmm. And to find this purpose in something that, you know, the church would rather not exist, again, I think kind of helps bring some some meaning and some goodness. And if I know Jesus has met me here and has has this, you know, to glorify him, then I think that that brings like a moment of intimacy in meeting me in in my sexuality.
2: That's such a great story. You know, there's, I mean, there's so many so many stories in scripture. And so it was really fascinating when we put this call out to the Yabbers to get what stories have landed with them. Like, like this is such a great one of like, I love how he referenced nature versus nurture. Cause I think at some point or another, we've all considered that, like what part of my upbringing might've influenced my sexuality or or where am I just inherently born differently, regardless of whether I'd been born in this part of the country or that part of the world or had these parents or had these siblings. Um, Like, I love how this, this story just, Who cares why? Like here we are now and God is using us now. Um, And I know that's easier said than done for a lot of people. Uh, For a lot of people, I know that's that's something I've never struggled with. Like I've never like had the... a look in the mirror moment of like, why am I the way that I am? I think for me, I've always wanted to just figure out what do I do with this? Like I, who cares how I got formed this way? Like, I'm not super concerned. I mean, if we get to heaven and like God tells me why I was the way that I am, I won't, I won't shy away. I'll take the answers where I can get them. But, um, but regardless, like here we are, here we are in the year 2022, the year of our Lord. And what does God want to do with us? What does he want to do with me? And I think, um, that's just such a great story that speaks to that. And God, God using the using somebody um despite whatever the 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 affliction is or whatever the struggle is and using it for his glory. What a what a great picture.
3: Yeah, and I think it's important to remember too that there's a lot of people who maybe weren't healed, who are still blind or who still deal with things. And to me, this starts to set a precedence, not just in this particular instance, but but God can use all of these things to be glorified and is using the imperfections of the world. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole message of Romans when it talks about like all things working for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to Him. Um, God can work all things to glorify Him. Indeed. That was fun. I love this.
2: This is like such a simple episode, but it's so profound too. Like just story time. Let's just read books, like chapters of the Bible and let's just read some stories and get some feedback on it. It's been so fun. Um, Here's another one. We're just powering through these. Um, This yobber submitted a story from Luke seven. And he describes that story like this. Jesus is invited to dine at a Pharisee's house. A nameless, immoral woman of the city hears about this and goes to the home with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. She extravagantly anoints Jesus with it. The Pharisee, Simon, thinks in his head that Jesus would never let that happen if he really knew how sinful she was. Reading his thoughts, Jesus shares a parable about two people in debt having their debts forgiven. One debt was for 50 denarii, the other 500. He asks Simon who'd love this forgiver of debts more to which Simon responded, the one with the greater debt. Jesus said he answered correctly and promptly roasts Simon alive for his lack of hospitality, shocking all the more for the woman's hospitality and loving gestures. At the end, Jesus proclaims that she loves more because she's been forgiven more. So he tells her that her faith has saved her and to go in peace. And here's how that landed with this Yabber. He says this, Before I came out, before I found Yab. I was a hot mess in terms of sexuality. No matter what I tried, I couldn't seem to reconcile my attractions toward men with my attractions toward women. And once I became a Christian, I couldn't reconcile any of that with my newfound love for Jesus. I learned pretty quickly that, quote unquote, the gays were, quote unquote, bad. And in the words of this story, had a large debt to be paid. Whether that's actually true or not, I felt and believed that such was the case for me. My debt was insurmountable and climbing, And I was powerless to stop thinking boys were cute, LOL. In this story, as Jesus is roasting the Pharisee, he says, do you see this woman? And every time I read this passage now, I wonder, did those religious people who piled shame a mile high on my back and then set it on fire ever once see me? Did they see the quote unquote gaze? Jesus sees me. He sees the tear filled worship. He sees the sacrifices. He appreciates the ways the gays are worshiping him and all things and speaks to us a different message. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Mm. All of these stories have a distinct voice to a a voice, a personality to them. Like I just, that's the other thing about reading these stories. Like, yeah, we could have read word for word, Luke seven, 36 to 50 as he, um, so, so perfectly referenced according to my instructions, but but why read the, the scripture what, that we can all read at any time and just read it in his own voice and story? And I love that's another aspect of this episode or this two-part episode that I'm quite, quite enjoying is how these guys put the story in their own words.
3: Yeah, that is so good. I feel like you could have just popped on, ignored me and Ryan and been like, all right, here's our listeners stories and we're done. <laughs> we got good stuff.
2: I know, I know, and it gets and it only gets better. Like the the larger our community grows, and the more feedback we can get on these episodes, like uh, we are in a we are in the golden age. It's not just because we're hitting a hundred episodes, but we although maybe that's part of it too. But yeah, I just love all all of that. So good. We're we're winding down the episode, and we're we're getting to some meat and potatoes here because this is fun. Like. Spoiler alert, there's going to be no David and Jonathan talk this entire series, which maybe David and Jonathan get their own episodes someday. Cause <laughs> or their whole series. <laughs> their whole series. Do you remember that David, wasn't there like this King David Twitter account or something that we referenced back oh, in the yeah. day? Oh, yeah, like uh, <laughs>
1: incorrect David and Jonathan yeah. quotes. It's like super hypersexual oh, tension, passive aggressive. Yeah. Like, it was so funny. They were um, funny, but I I wouldn't.
2: Spread it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so no David and Jonathan, but I love the when I so I, was, I referenced David and Jonathan to say like when I put this this prompt out there to the hours, I was expecting somebody to talk about David Jonathan David and Jonathan, which nobody did. Um, but then the other story that I was expecting people to talk about was the Jesus and John story. Um, and if you, if, if anyone's listening, if anyone's familiar with the community, you got to know the one, right? The one story of Jesus and John mm-hmm. at the last supper, when John leans against Jesus's chest, shoulder, whatever part of the body, there's, there's contact. There's the breast. Well, the so, breast. So many <laughs> if you want to go there. Okay. <laughs> the breast. Um, this was another story that I figured would get some traction. And we did have a couple people talk about it. And so. This is great. they're they're both just phenomenal. Um, these are our last two last two shares of the episode. So I'm gonna read them. We'll see what the vibe is after I read the first one. You know, if you guys want to chime in with any thoughts or if you want if I, I'll take a deep breath and I can just then read the next long big long paragraph, we could do it that way. We'll just kind of see. we'll see where it takes us. but um, but I figured we would end here tonight since we had a couple people um, talk about this one. So Yaber number one, he said this. I'm a pastor and happen to be preaching this coming weekend on one of my favorite stories in the new Testament. It's John 13, 21 to 30, the scene where Jesus says he feels troubled because someone is going to betray him and then reveals his betrayer as Judas. I don't actually like that aspect of the story, but the part I do like is the interaction between Jesus and presumably John who identifies himself here as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That love between Jesus and John was something that these two friends were obviously not shy about displaying because John was basically lying down with his head on Jesus' chest while this was all happening. That's why Peter had to tell John to ask Jesus who was going to betray him instead of asking him himself. John was majorly occupying Jesus' physical space at that moment. This intimate physical closeness between Jesus and John isn't obvious in some modern translations. Someone joked in an article I read, that if Bible translators keep moving John further away from Jesus in this story, eventually he'll be in another room. But the King James Version says John was (laughs) leaning on Jesus's bosom, which seems to be an accurate translation of the original Greek. And I really like the way the message words it. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. It means so much to me that the sinless, spotless Son of God was physically and emotionally intimate with another man. It gives me hope that I can be close to other men in non-sexual, non-sinful ways. And it gives me hope that I can be close to Jesus too, like John was. I can even picture myself like John, leaning back against Jesus's chest, asking my friend a question no one else dares to ask and having him take the time and care to give me an answer. That's pretty cool. I had a friend, kind of a mentor to me, who I was talking with about this passage and I told him That's the kind of relationship I want to have with Jesus. His response really took the wind out of my sails when he said, well, not everyone can have a relationship with Jesus like that. That relationship was unique because John was a chosen disciple. I was crestfallen. What do you mean I can't have a relationship like that? Why is this even in the Bible if it's not something we can emulate? But in recent years, I've come to realize in a way my friend was right. I'm not going to have a relationship with Jesus like John did. But John didn't have a relationship with Jesus like I do either. Hmm. Maybe one reason John doesn't identify himself by name in his gospel is so we can all fill in the blank. Maybe we can all be the disciple whom Jesus loved. I certainly feel like I am. Oh my gosh, I started getting teary <laughs> at, at the end of that. Yeah. Ah, um, oh, that was so beautiful. We need to we need to pause. Originally, my thought was let's just read these comments back to back. But let's soak that in for a second. You guys have any thoughts on on that wonderful comment?
3: I feel like you need to recruit some of these people to be
2: bloggers.
1: This is, this I
2: know, I feel stuff. like I'm about to be replaced. Yeah, right. That's what we This is like a secret assignment of like who out there, <laughs> who out there can blog for us. Canvassing
1: I'm materials. training my <laughs> replacement. <laughs> yeah,
3: right.
1: That's right. No, I I love John as a character. Um, in, in the in the Bible, I love how just you see these little subtle qualities shine through in his writing where he is just so proud and so delighted to be uh, to be loved by Jesus and that, that he just always identifies himself as the the disciple that Jesus loved. He's, he's like bragging about it kind of. And there's these little moments where he didn't have to include this little detail, but he was like, guess who was cuddling with Jesus in the last so, summer? yeah, yeah, it was me. It was me. <laughs> or, or like, uh, beating, beating Peter running to the tomb, you know? Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, I got there first. I got there before Peter. I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he is just so like he boasts about how beloved he is um and i want to be i want to be like that you know i want to be i want that to be uh just my where where i get all my joy and comfort is how much jesus loves me the other thing that that this story like why this story means a lot to me it's you know the same stuff that that this Yabra was talking about regarding physical touch, but um, but I mean, you, you look at the you look at the story of the Bible. You know, across across the whole Bible, you look in the um, in the Old Testament law, and um, and so much of it is about don't what not to touch, right? Like don't touch dead bodies, don't touch these animals, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't touch things that have touched those things, and. Um, and here's how to fix it. If you do accidentally touch any of that, you know, um, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he's just touching everything. You know, he's, he's touching the sick people. He's touching the blind people. He's, um, his ministry is so touch oriented and in his relationships, I think we see like in, 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 in this little vignette, um, have, have like a big touch component to them And, um, and like the drum I'm always beating is, uh, if you're not touching people, you're not loving like Jesus did. You know, I think in our modern churches, we have, um, we've divorced spirituality from the material from our bodies, uh, so severely that we forget that like, uh, touching is a huge part of loving and you can't, you really can't love your brothers and sisters in Christ without, uh, without that touch is powerful. It can do a lot of harm, uh, which we have certainly seen come to light in the church. Um, but, but it's powerful and does a lot of good too. Like the power can go either way. And I think we've forgotten, you know, some, some people need to be reminded of the, the harmful power it has, but I think most of us actually need to be reminded of the healing power it has. Hmm. So well said.
2: Ryan, I feel like you beat a lot of drums. You've been, you've been beating some drums. Oh, yeah, that's one of my
1: catchphrases. I say, the drum I'm always beating, and then one of like yeah. 10 different drums I'm yeah. always beating. Yeah, you've got a whole
2: closet full of drums. But that's a great that's a great beat to drum. I love that. So good. You guys, we could stop there, and that would be so great. But guess what? There's more. There's more Jesus John Cuddle stories to share. So let's read one more, and then we'll get out of here on, on that one this by the way is from a new yabber, and i say he's fitting in quite well he just jumped right in gave some great feedback on our last episode great feedback here on this episode as well so shout out to you special new yabber. um he also references this story the gospel of john has always been particularly resonant in my walk with jesus and in how i navigate my sexuality i remember before i was old enough to understand or articulate my attractions i was drawn to the image of john leaning up against jesus's chest I desired that kind of love and intimacy where you could hear his heartbeat, feel the rise and fall of his breath, and rest confidently in the fact that you are loved and held by another. That's not the story I lived though, at least not at first. I spent years struggling to be honest with myself, wrestling and micromanaging my thoughts and behaviors, and somewhere along the way it felt like something died. I didn't feel like John, I felt like Mary Magdalene standing at the foot of the cross, looking at her mangled friend with no hope of stitching him back together. I genuinely felt like my faith was going to die, and that vision of chest-leaning intimacy vanished. Which brings me to a Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, when Mary went to visit her friend's tomb. She finds the tomb empty, and instead of sparking hope, the sight led her to despair. Where has my friend gone, she asks. She starts weeping, and the tears blur her vision so much that she mistakes the man in front of her for a simple gardener. She pleads with him to tell her where her friend was taken. He listens to her tears fall, and all he does in response is whisper her name, Mary. Hearing her name, she realizes that it's her friend and her teacher who has been restored back to her, and her mourning turns into the best news she's ever heard. I spent years thinking that I had to craft a picture-perfect faith, Despite all the self-motivated thought policing and praying away, nothing ever budged and it really did feel like his promise of love and life had left the picture. I, like Mary, was devastated. I felt like I was giving up everything for a friend who was functionally dead. In my grieving, the tears blurred my eyes so much that I couldn't see that he was standing two feet away from me the entire time. But he heard me out. He listened to my questions and my sorrow. And in response all he did was whisper my name somehow that's all i needed to hear him saying my name was also him saying i love you all of you would you come and follow me these days i'm still working on being loved for no good reason i still feel the gravity of this unique experience of following jesus as a guy with same-sex attractions it's not an easy walk but i finally know that he's been here all along even when i'm so angry or sad that i can't tell he's there He's saying my name. He's inviting me, all of me, to the table to come and lean against his chest. He doesn't need me to change. All he wants me to do for now is come and listen to his heartbeat. The rest will flow from there. A few weeks ago, we had a Zoom call with our community, as we always do, relating back to these episodes these topics these conversations that we have in a closed room we we open the conversation up to a bigger room our faithful little crew of supporters and among stories shared from scripture ranging from joseph to women of the new testament we also talked about an oft discarded and oft forgotten character from the Old Testament, someone with a classic biblical name of several syllables. His name is Mephibosheth, and he was the son of Jonathan. I was surprised throughout our Zoom call that we never talked about David and Jonathan, a classic tale, a classic friendship that no doubt inspires the community I found it fascinating though, that we talked about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. For those that don't know the story, Mephibosheth was just five years old when his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul died in battle. And upon fleeing the scene, fleeing the war, Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and fell, dropped him dropped him and injured him to the point that he would never walk again. And this was Mephibosheth's identity. From five years old till the day he died, he was a man who couldn't walk, a cripple. And the story was particularly meaningful to hear from one of our beloved community members someone with a disability, someone who saw something of himself in this character, in this story from scripture. Mephibosheth's name literally means from the mouth of shame. And while I would never ascribe homosexuality as a disability, I imagine many of us, the vast majority of us perhaps, have ascribed many layers of shame to our sexuality. If not viewing it as a disability outright, something different from normal people, something that sets us apart, a shadow, something to conceal, something to ignore and something we pray and hope nobody notices, nobody calls us out for. The story of Mephibosheth isn't just tragic. It's incredibly hopeful for believers of all stripes, all sexualities, all disabilities or differentness. Because after David takes the throne, his best friend Jonathan gone. He seeks out a way that he can show kindness that he can continue to be a blessing. In 2nd Samuel chapter 9, the story goes like this starting in verse 3. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And picking up in verse six, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both his feet. And whenever I hear this incredible, heartwarming story from the Old Testament about this Mephibosheth, a song comes to mind, a song written by John Mark McMillan called Carbon Ribs, a song that features a lovely callback to Mephibosheth of all the people you could write a song about. Some of the lyrics go as follows. I've got his resurrection down inside my skin but for all my revelating I just can't make sense of this gravity we're in. Because I'm a dead man now with a ghost who lives within the confines of these carbon ribs and one day When I'm free, I will sit, a cripple at your table, a cripple by your side. And so, fellow sparrows, you who walk, you who run, and you who stumble and stagger and fall, wherever you are, wherever you've been, however near or far you feel from this table. The table of normalcy, the table of loved ones and family, the table of the church, the table of the king, whether others have deemed you unworthy or you have deemed yourself as such. May you this day sit in the chair already pulled out for you today, just as it will be evermore. Just as worthy to be seated as the person on your left and the one on your right. The men, the women, the married, the single, the pastors and the porn addicted, the kings and the crippled. Worthy and welcomed because Christ, our King, has made us so, has decreed it. Christ, the friend of sinners, welcomer of the wandering, Savior for all who search. May we sit beside him with renewed confidence, no longer with a mouth of shame, free to lean against his breast, he who we call worthy, he who sups with us, drinks with us, meal after meal at this
3: blessed table. Yeah, as I've listened through the stories tonight, um, there's been a feeling or a sense that has stuck with me, and uh, it takes me to 1 Peter chapter 2, where he said, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is, there are a lot of different stories, a lot of different contexts um, by many different people who have been impacted differently by scripture. But the common thread as I think through and feel kind of the tone of what other people is, are feeling is that they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I think that's one of the things that unites us as a community is we undergo some difficult challenges and sometimes we're very demoralized, but we've tasted we've tasted the Lord and we've experienced his goodness and he is good and merciful to us. Um, And that's, that's, I think that's what it is all about. That's what it comes down to. And that's what the gospel is. Um, And so as we go from here, I hope that you who are listening have tasted and seen the Lord and that you've tasted that he's good and that you find yourself encouraged by these stories.
1: Amen. So well said you guys. Oh my gosh.
3: How did we become
2: so blessed with such articulate, poetic, sensitive, beautiful men? How did we get here?
3: <laughs> I don't know. They were all so good to You guys I mean, we are good read too. Stories and they're good. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know all but, of you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: This has been such a joy. Like maybe we've been overthinking it. Like I'm always like scratching my head. Like oh my gosh, we've done almost hundred of these episodes. What else is there to talk about? Surely there's nothing else. But what if it's just as simple as we open the Bible every so many episodes and just say, "What speaks to you?" Like tell me a story that resonates with your story with your heart and with your soul and let's just like unite around that like what a simple mm-hmm. profound episode or a couple of episodes rather yeah. this has been this has been so great
3: i feel so encouraged by it all i i think we should do more of it for sure
2: oh i mean i figured if we can do 11 episodes on the enneagram we could probably do more <laughs> on the bible <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Jesus. We're, we're we're trying. We're not perfect. We're trying to figure um, out the right, that's right the right balance that's right. of things. But um as if that wasn't enough, uh listeners, we would love to hear from you. Um whether you identify as a Yabber or not, please go to our podcast episode page, your slash podcast. Um, find this episode, episode 97, comment on it, and tell us a story of scripture that speaks to you. We would love to hear it. Um and if you're a yabber who submitted feedback, you know, check your inbox. I might be, I might be messaging you. I'm feeling inspired to reach out to you and maybe ask you for, ask you for a little guest blog. Maybe that could be cool. So who knows? Stay in touch. And thank you scrolls for scrolling out this episode. <laughs> it was beautiful. You know, we had papyrus, we had scrolls. Um, this was very, very old school sponsorships for these episodes, but you know, can't get more old school than the
1: Bible. Really, we should we should we should give scrolls another try. You know, you don't have to staple them. Um, I know. You <laughs> you don't have to. You know, choose the right size of paper for your printer. You just there's no page roll. turning. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just page turning. You just stretch along. it out. Yeah, if you drop your scroll, all the pages don't fly all over your floor, you know? Maybe- Just take your scroll back up. Ryan, maybe
2: at the Yabbers Retreat in two months, we'll just, when we have announcements after every meal, we'll just have a scroll that someone can read from (laughs) to announce (laughs) it. I used to put all announcements on little index cards, but maybe I'll just cough up some money for a scroll and um, do our announcements that way. Bringing scrolls back. That's how Mm -hmm. we roll in this community. Mm -hmm. Well, Ryan and Aaron, let's hope- we can gather again soon. It was so lovely um, to see your faces, hear your voices, be in the same Zoom room again as we put this episode together. Good to see you, brothers.
3: You too. You as well, Tom.
2: We will we will be back again soon, everybody, for another Yobcast or a Yab Convocast as we inch closer and closer to 100th Yobcast. Hit up that Yab line. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, but until our next episode, until we convene again. For all your other brothers, my name is Tom. This is Ryan. And I'm Aaron. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody.
3: Goodbye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast, or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at brothers.com. or write to us at Your Other Brothers P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina 28802. Finally. If you'd like to further support our storytelling, community-building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash yourthebros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.